This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read his word. O Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the, of the path you set before us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of God for the people of God. Well, we have reached a point of application in the book of Hebrews. Uh, this is very much a, a, a word of exhortation, a sermon. And uh, for the past several weeks, we've been looking at how uh, Christ is better and superior. And, and we had an invitation in chapter 4 to draw near. And from there, it began to un, um, unfold how Christ is the superior covenant, how he is the better priest, the better temple, the better sacrifice, um, how he draws us into the, the heavenly temple and initiates a new covenant through his own blood rather than the blood of bulls and goats. I was accused of saying bowling goats uh, last week or last time I spoke on this. So, bulls and goats, two different animals. Anyway, Jesus is superior to all that. And all that is not just so we can um, kind of understand how the New Testament and the Old Testament work together or understand all the um, things that were being pointed to in the sacrificial system. All of that is being said to encourage us. And the three things that we're to be encouraged to do the application of this, and I would like to point out that three points in a sermon is a very biblical precedent, thanks to uh, the book of Hebrews. We are to draw near, we are to hold fast, and we're to stir one another up to love and to good works. Because Christ has accomplished what he said he would do, because he made the perfect sacrifice, and now we have access to God himself, that he himself is the, his body is the veil by which we enter into communion with God, that the source of all being awaits us. The, the, the source of everything that is good and beautiful and true, the, the deepest longing of your heart is desiring to have communion with you. 
that has been broken off by our rebellion and by our sin. It's, it's inviting us, and it's there, and it has been accomplished. Therefore, draw near. Come to him. I, we, we come through Christ to God, to love itself, and he brings us there. So, draw near. If he's accomplished it, if he's made the sacrifice, all that is left to do is to trust him and to believe in him and to come and receive all the goodness that is offered in him. And with such a great invitation, with such a wonderful promise, why is it that some do not come? Some would see no need to have anything restored with God. Some see no need to have anything repaired. They, they don't see anything bad enough in them that needs uh, to be restored. They're kind of happy with the way things are in this world, seeing nothing greater, seeing nothing in themselves that would disrupt the relationship with what we're promised in Christ. And as we, as we, we have seen previously is all of the sacrifices throughout the ages were there not only to reconcile us to God, but to show our need for reconciliation, to show the need for our sins to be covered, to show that our needs, that our sins and who we are is bad enough to disrupt us from that relationship with God. And so the cross itself stands as not only the most beautiful picture of redemption and love and grace that is shown to us, but it is also the most condemning sign that I and myself am not good enough to come before God, that it took something so horrific for me to come to God, that my sins deserved such a punishment, that just looking at the cross not only shows um, God's mercy and grace, but it shows that need. So we all, none of us are too good to need a Savior. None of us um, are, are in ourselves able to enter into the access with God. We need to draw near. Some would say, um, I, I need to draw near. I know, but I have to get my, myself good enough to do that. I, I've, I've often had the impression that a lot of people, they don't think they're good enough. And so they, rather than seeing their need, they don't see their ability to come because they somehow think they have to get some things straight in their life before they can become a believer. They have to work some things out and make up for some failures in the past before they can come. They kind of give themselves away when they say, you know, the ceiling might fall in at the church if I come. And we tell them, well, it's already coming down, so just come on, come on in. So, And yet, draw near. We don't draw near because we're good enough. Don't draw near because you've done enough and he'll, he'll make up the rest. Don't draw near because um, you just need a little help, but you're doing a pretty good job believing yourself. No, we draw near through his blood and through his body, through his sacrifice. We don't come in our own strength. We, we draw near um, because of him our great high priest who has made the sacrifice for us. Um, Tim shared with me hearing a message this, um, that made it for him as you don't wash yourself off before getting in the shower. 
you come to Jesus, the one who purifies and cleans. The example I used at Mount Carmel was you don't clean the fish before you get them in the boat. We come to Jesus, and he is the one who makes us ready. So wherever you are, you are never going to get yourself good enough to come to Christ. It is his work and his body and his blood that draw. So draw near. So we come to him um, with true hearts, full of assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed with a pure conscience. I think part of that is true hearts. We, we, we in our heart believe what Jesus has done for us. We trust in his work and not ourselves. We don't just go through the motions of showing up at church. We don't just go through the motions of the check mark of I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, and leaving it all as an intellectual thing, but it comes and it is, hits our heart that we truly believe when he says, trust in me, you are forgiven, you are part of my family, and I will hold to you always. And that's the assurance of faith, not that my faith is going to be strong enough, but the assurance of he who began a good work will see it through to the finish. He who has said he will do this really will do this. He was able to be our sacrifice. He was able to bring us to God, and he is able to do this, and we trust in that. We have the assurance of that faith. And he calls us, reminding us that our, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an, English, an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. And I, I think this is an allusion to baptism. Might be a, a hint to the author of Hebrews, obviously a Presbyterian. Your hearts are sprinkled clean, right? So we have, uh, he's pointing to how you have sprinkled the altar with blood. The covenant was made with sprinkling the people with blood. The sprinkling of the blood, even on the book, the sprinkling of the blood is purifying and cleansing and establishing a covenant. And so there's a, this sense of which as we have come into the church and as our bodies have been washed with water, whether that was as an infant having yourself washed in front of everyone, whether that was um, you coming to faith and being baptized, being immersed somewhere, or however that was, as your body was washed with water, that is showing that in our souls by faith, the blood of Christ Jesus has sprinkled you like that altar, like the people of the old covenant, and has made you clean and has established a covenant with you and has made a promise to you and you receive this gift. And, and so there's a sense in which we come to Jesus and we come to him knowing that as assuredly as we're cleansed, our hearts are cleansed and purified as we trust and believe in what he has done on the cross. Not only do we draw near, we hold fast. Hold to what we confess. I can't remember exactly when. It was probably about 20 years ago. Um, before movies were all reboots of 80s TV shows and Marvel comics, there was this movie, Master and Commander. It was this naval epic that I'm not saying if anyone else has seen it, but it's a good movie. And it was pretty intense because it was all, you know, they would be fighting. So there would be cannon fire and wood exploding and gunshots and swords. 
And then another scene, it would be this huge storm and lightning and thunder and waves and wind. And there's all this stuff of enduring the storms, enduring the attacks and all these things. And I can't remember which scene it was. But you have this young guy and I, I, who's kind of frightened. And I, I think it's when he looks at this. I probably have the plot completely wrong, but go watch the movie and correct me later. We'll watch it together. Bring popcorn. But anyway, the young guy, there's this old salty sea dog, and he puts his hand together, and he's given a message to one of the sailors, and if you, it zooms in, and on his knuckles is written, hold fast. Whatever is happening, the storm is raging. The, the attackers are coming. The boat is falling apart. There's nothing to do but cling, hold on, and trust. You can't just dive overboard. You can't just give up and run away. You just hold fast. Now, I thought that would have been an awesome tattoo for a preacher. We do a sermon. Robin didn't think so. So I have. I, have, I could have done it this morning. anyway. Storms are raging. We're seeing a community of people who have been hurt, who have lost, still in shock, have, you know, so much of the community is hurting. And just looking at our prayer list to see lives upended in just a minute and routine surgery becoming something critical where we're praying it doesn't get worse. And looking around, just everyone in this room has had those storms, have had those cannonballs attack, have had the things in your life just coming where things are falling apart, where you have shed tears, you don't know how you're going to make it through the next day. Everyone we can look around and hear the stories and know the grief and the things that are raging against us. What are we going to do? We're going to just go drown our miseries? It's like diving overboard in the stormy sea. Are we going to just hide and hope it all passes? Are we going to see, well, maybe I can find something else. You know, maybe something else is going to be better. It's not. God hasn't promised to remove us from those storms that you face. God isn't promising that he's going to take us out of the difficulties and the challenges and the trials and tribulations that everyone goes through. And the people who were receiving this book, receiving this message, they were going through them too. They were facing persecution. They were facing um, the same sort of pain and grief and loss that all of us face. And their temptation was, let me go back to that pagan idol. Let me go back to a temple. Let me go back to something else. And the message to them is, you who have drawn near, it isn't that the storm's going to die down and it's going to be smooth. There's still going to be things that hit you. There's still going to be hold fast. 
hold firm to your confession. You believe God created all things and he created them good. You believe that he loved you and sent his son to die. You believe he is powerful and able to do all things. You believe he answers prayer. That's your confession. Hold firm to it. Don't let go. Whatever you see around you and the things that are shaking you and striking fear and bringing doubt and if you're alive, you are going to face doubt. You're going to look at things and say, God, are you really there when a gunman goes into the school and kills innocent life? God, are you really good when we're seeing good people hurt and fear and destruction? God, are you really there? We see the storm, and what he wants them to see is the storm is raging around us, the things are in our life, everything is telling us to go here or find somewhere to hide, go back to another offer. Hold firm, hold fast to your confession. God is good. And so whatever you see around you, it is real. But remember the reality of a Jesus who is in the heavenlies, who is sovereign, who is working all things good. And so we hold fast not because we are strong, not because we just kind of put on a smiley face and think everything's going to better, get better. We don't just believe in ourselves and our own ability to work our way out. We hold fast because he who promised is faithful. And in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our questions, in the midst of things that would confuse us and throw us off, that's, at the end of the day, what we do is we say, I believe in this God, and I believe in his goodness, and I believe that the one who went to the cross to die for me, his promise is sure because he is faithful to his word. And what he has said that he will do, he will accomplish. And so whatever we are facing, we face it holding fast, not to our own strength, but to the certainty that the one who promised is faithful. He's never let us down. He's never let anyone down. The next chapter, chapter 11, is just going to be this wonderful re retelling of all those who've trusted in him and his faithfulness to them. He who promised is faithful. And it's as simple as that, why we can hold fast to our confession so we draw near, and we, we stick to that regardless of our situation, but we also consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. We do that through meeting together. We don't neglect to meet together as the habit of some. Um, I guess he didn't want to name the ones who weren't meeting, but, um, but and we encourage one another. What a great thing that we encourage one another by meeting together and remembering his faithfulness. Isn't that what we do? I mean, part of worship is we sing his praises. We give of ourselves in prayer. We, we hear his word and we receive the sacraments and, and the promises. But we also, just your presence and singing is an encouragement to one another. I, I can't tell you how many times I've looked out and watched as someone going through difficulty singing of God's faithfulness, or the way you gather together before and after service and celebrate 
joyous occasions or cry with one another and pray with one another. The, the way you encourage one another in Sunday school classes and the way just throughout the week, texts go out to remind of our love for one another and to encourage people through difficulties that you're facing. That is the church. We encourage one another. We stir one another up, sometimes not even through words, just looking aside at someone who is reaching out and doing good works encourages us. After a storm, I drive by. I'm probably going to see Phil out in the yard picking up things so that you, you, you pull up and think, well, no limbs fell in the church. They just magically made a pile over there. It's because Phil was here. There's always ways you reach out and encourage one another. So we, we do that. We build one another up. We say just, I know you're going through something difficult. How can I help you? And that itself is encouragement. We do that always, and especially through the difficult times. And so I, I want to remind us, not only do we come, not with the attitude of what do I get out of this, but I come with the attitude of how can I serve brothers and sisters sitting across from me in the pew? What are they going through? How can I pray for them? How can I encourage them? But also, that means everyone in here needs encouragement. You are not above needing the ministry of brothers and sisters. Everyone in here needs each other. And I think there can be times that we come and we think this is for somebody else, but I, not me, someone else for me. They're going through this, something really difficult. I'm not. But everyone needs to receive the ministry. If we're here to encourage one another, you are one of those one of another's. And sometimes it can be that you find it very easy to help others, but you find it very difficult to receive ministry from someone else. Let others fulfill their ministry by loving one another and being that other that they serve. So we draw near, we hold fast, and we stir one another up to love and to good works. Would you please stand as we state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed?